Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alon Benmeer. Today's guest is John J. Nance, a decorated Air Force veteran, aviation safety expert, and New York Times bestselling author, whose latest book, The Nine Lives of Crystal Global, discusses the need for Saudi Arabia to modify its economic approach to succeed in the future. In this episode, Alan and John discuss human rights in Saudi Arabia and how the U.S. should approach that issue, Saudi Arabia's role in the oil market, and Israel's desire to normalize relations with Saudi Arabia and how the Saudis can utilize that for peace. I want to begin with, you know, we begin with something that is, of course, uh, uh, significant in terms of, and you speak about our, I'll put that in quote, ignorance in terms of how we deal with foreign powers, foreign, foreign countries. And to me, you know, one of the most glaring things is that we really have very little understanding of their of their history to a great extent, and their their psychological, like a national psychological mindset, and yes. how they think, yeah. how they approach issues, and more more than anything else, how they think of themselves in terms of their position, importance. Of course, depending on their what they have to offer, where they are located, etc. Uh, so when we talk about Saudi Arabia, the first thing that comes to my mind is that how the United States has been, although me, myself, extremely committed to human rights issues in every which way. If you follow my writing, yes. that's my focus. Yes. But for me, you know, for the United States, how to deal with Saudi Arabia, linking human rights issues to other more significant, just as significant, for example, our geostrategic relationship. It's a critical for many, many reasons. Yes. But linking the two or supplying arms to Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And uh, some senators and Democrats saying we should not give it to them unless they do A, B, C, and D, as if we are giving them some kind of a charity. Uh, here, here our airplanes, our tanks, we do right. you a big favor. But in fact, our geostrategic, our interest in the region is very significant. And so we're not doing them just for a favor. So what's your take? What's your take on this? To me, linkage that it is in many ways counterproductive as far as we're concerned. Well, to to drop a, an old and honored name, uh, uh, Dr. Henry Kissinger said many many decades ago, or taught us about the concept of linkage, and I think in a way that had not really been on the world stage. Uh, and he was very right. I mean, he, you you could uh, disagree with a lot of different aspects of policy over time, but linkage is incredibly important because you've got to look geopolitically at what the uh, what the balance point is, uh, as well as what the temperament is of the uh, of the other civilization that you're talking about. The Saudis are proud people. They've never been conquered. Uh, yes, they're a young country, but they they need to be treated with a great degree of respect. And and in my research on this uh, this current book that's coming up. Um, I gained an awful lot of respect for their point of view, even though it would differ from our canned point of view, uh, which is basically that, you know, we're not going to forgive uh, Mohammed bin Salman for uh, uh, for the Khashoggi uh, murder, and, and uh, we've got to extract, uh, uh, you know, more than a pound of flesh for it. Uh, that That is basically something that makes a very big difference in terms of how we treat people. If, if we treat them in public in a humiliating way, we're going to get a predictable response. And this is true for not only Saudi Arabia, of course, but for so many countries in the world that have their own pride. And they've got their problems just like we do. One of our problems is that we don't see 
how far down we have sunk in terms of educational capability of getting our population to the point of understanding anything. 70 years we have been uh, decreasing the level of education and sophistication in the United States, and we're paying the price for it now. Uh, we've got a lot of folks in our country who are of voting age uh, who do not understand anything outside the borders of the country. So anyway, I'm, I'm kind of rambling a bit, but no, I think no, it's but incredible. this is very important. I mean, you know, specifically when we complain about the MRI violation, yeah. I, I want to look at our country and look what's happening to us right here. I mean, yes. the extent of human rights violation in this country is staggering at this point. It's staggering. Uh, it, it is hard to believe that this country, United States of America, we're still experiencing a kind of intense, horrifying discrimination, uh, not to speak of the killing, you know, 50, almost 50,000 Americans are killed every single day by other Americans. Yeah. I mean, so we have so many issues, but... Uh, for us to preach the gospel of what's right and what's wrong, I think it's a little um, taken way too far. Uh, and uh, you mentioned Kissinger. Kissinger's approach to, uh, to China was exactly that. He separated. Uh, linkage is very important, but he also separated. When he went there, he said, human rights issue is one thing. Our you know, relationship with you is a different matter. So the separation made it possible for the United States to open to China. And well, we know subsequently what happened yeah. uh, at this point. Now, the, today, you know, Saudi Arabia, for example, when they reduced the production of oil during the last OPEC meeting, the United States threatened again, we're going to respond to it. But finally, President Biden decided, well, our you know, relationship with, with, with the Saudi Arabia is so important, we cannot really afford to further alienate them. But needless to say, the Saudis themselves are also making, have made, and continue to make several mistakes. I'd like to, yeah, to, to get your take on a number of issues in that regard. One is, um, is Yemen. Mm -hmm. what's, your, what's your take? I mean, this is a war, in my view, it's not winnable in the sense that one party, be that the Houthis or the Sana, the government supported by the Saudis, are going to have any clear decisive victory. In my view, that is not going to happen. We're talking about uh, which conflict? Uh, Yemen. Oh, Yemen, Yemen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the Saudi's Yemen. involvement. My position is that this is there will never be a clear-cut winner or loser. There's going to be, the solution will have to be negotiated agreement where both parties can get some kind of satisfaction. Going back to my background, which is U.S. Air Force and uh, some of my training on a, on a larger scale, um, uh, it's, it's impossible to win a war that has become so completely muddled up. Uh, we're not even sure whose side any particular side is on, and the, uh, the carnage has, has been overbearing in terms of uh, any worth of, uh, of conquest or stabilization. Matter of fact, it's almost a joke to talk about stabilization as a result of, uh, of, of what's been going on. No, this needs to be a negotiated peace, but not for the sake of peace, just for the sake of, of extricating everyone from an impossible situation. Yes, I mean, I mean and I look at the suffering of the, of the Yemenite people. Here we're waging a war. It's a proxy war between Iran and, United, and, and Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And the people who are suffering the most, obviously, are the Yemenites themselves. With yes. tens of you know, estimated over 150,000, probably the number is much higher, already killed. Not to speak of starvation, disease, 
millions of children are on the verge of uh, being basically starving to death. So, yep. so, but you know, the ceasefire happened uh, and expired in October, but the, the, the violence somewhat subsided. But just recently, uh, Saudi Arabia resumed bombing, which was, I think, a few days ago, and several again, more people are killed. How, how do you see that? How do you explain that? Uh, you know, it brings to mind the, the concept of a Pyrrhic victory. Uh, I, I don't know where they, they think they're going to end up, even if everything goes the way that they seem to be trying to push it militarily. Um, I think it's time to stop. Uh, they're wasting time, material, lives. But the people, as you say, uh, are suffering terribly. Uh, I, I don't see any clear military objective, basically. I, I think that's the thing that continually jumps out at me. What's your objective? You can go throw bombs across the border, but exactly what are you trying to do? Yeah, this is exactly right. I mean, what do you how where do you see the U.S. role in this regard? I mean, as you said, would like obviously for various reasons, I want to to see the war in Yemen ending, uh, yeah. but it is supporting nevertheless the Saudis directly or indirectly, not necessarily to go and bomb the the, the Yemenite. But the fact is, there was a call to suspend armed shipment to Saudi Arabia because of the Yemen war. But of course, you have also a lot of the culprit. Iran on the other side. And yeah. you know, there's a tremendous tension between the United States and Iran in connection with the Iran nuclear program. Uh, do you see a role for the United States to play, which in fact could might be even indirectly um, facilitated, not directly, very much indirectly, uh, with the, the, the negotiation with Iran? That is, for the United States to play a role in trying to end the war in in uh, Yemen through mediated agreement and it played a, a, a mediating role in that regard, knowing as you and I agree, there is no military victory here. Yeah. It's got to be it's got to be a negotiated settlement. Uh, how should I put this? I I would hope, but uh, that hope may be vain, that we have sufficient sophistication in our ability to gather foreign policy and act on it, that we might find a way to do this. But remember, our country has been represented for four years by a buffoonish administration that had no idea what they were doing. And, uh, and the disaster that they created out of a stasis, at least uh, the beginning of a stasis in the nuclear uh, uh, inspection area uh, with Iran, has been so completely messed up now that I'm I'm not sure that there's any going back there, not just for that particular issue, but also to be able to open up any other issue. Um, we One of the things we've got to make, and I, I know we're probably completely in agreement on, I've noted this for years, um, the Iranian people do not want to be in conflict with the rest of the world. And they want, don't want to be in conflict with the United States. Uh, to a certain extent, we need to sit back as we've been doing and, and let their their internal problems play out without being adventurous, in, uh, whether through CIA or otherwise, and attempting to accelerate it. The last thing we want is to square off against Iran. So to, to continue that interest... Uh, on the sidelines, quietly negotiating any way we possibly can to bring them back onto the world stage is important. Uh, but again, I'm not sure that we have not created a situation of such animosity that it's impossible to do so. 
Uh, again, going back to the level of sophistication of our foreign policy people now under this administration, I think they're trying to get a handle on something. But the you know the damage that's been done over the previous years is really horrific. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I go back to um, I still not used to say the word President Trump. It doesn't come out right <laughs> to me. To me, the, the presidency was nothing short of a, a disaster. For the yes. United States and for the world, for that matter. But um, he, I mean, Republicans continue to claim that what he's done, he made it possible for the United Arab Emirates and uh, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, to make peace with Israel. Basically, there's a trade off. If you do so, we do so. And now there are some voices from the Democratic Party saying to Biden, why don't you offer the Saudis? that we will do A, B, C, and D in terms of pro providing them with the planes that they want, with the equipment that they want, if they make peace with, with, with Israel, if they normalize relations with Israel. Here is another attack, so, <clears throat> like within a, a quid pro quo. If you do this, we do that, without really thinking, considering the fact, what is going to happen to the Palestinians? That is, well, one thing that Israel wants more than anything else, is to have normalized relations with Saudi Arabia because that will open the door for so many other Arab states yes. and Muslim states to make peace with Israel. But yeah. but by abandoning, however, the Palestinian altogether to, to themselves. And this is another example of defunct, in my view, approach. The United States can take make relations, but what about the Palestinians? What's what's your take on this? Uh, well, we first of all, you remember a book many years ago called uh, From Beirut to Lebanon, I believe it was. Uh, yeah. It was a, a pivotal book, and, and it talked about the historic nature of, uh, of not only the Palestinian question, but why these things are not immediately solvable. And, and I think that book needs to be reread a whole bunch by a lot of people in Washington when they uh, when they put their toe into this particular pond. Um, the uh, heavy peace between Saudi Arabia and uh, and Israel on an accelerated basis and a cooperative basis beyond the cooperation that's going on right now uh, is threatened by Netanyahu uh, by uh, by nature. That is a real worry. Uh, I'm not sure how much advance can be made as long as his bellicosity and that of his party uh, continues the way it has been in the past. Um, but you've got to, we've got to move the Palestinian question. There's just no no two ways about it. It's going to fester until it has some degree of solution. And and to use that word again, bellicose uh, type of uh, posturing from uh, from the current government in, uh, in Israel or in the future is not only not going to help, but it's not going to get us anywhere. And it will probably end up eroding, if not destroying, the level of cooperation that has developed in the background between Saudi and uh, uh, and Israel at the moment. That's not to anybody's best interest. Oh, absolutely. So let's go, I want to go back to Saudi Arabia. So if we were, you were uh, to advise today, uh, President Biden, here you have this, you have the Israeli government who would very much want to make peace with, with a normalized relation with Saudi. Saudi are saying, no, until you, find some solution to this the conflict with the Palestinians. That has been always preconditioned. As far as I know, I've been dealing with them for years and years and years, and they have not changed their position in this regard. Yes, they're corroborating with Israel on many fronts right now, technologically in terms of military exchange, uh, intelligence exchange, name it, because they have similar interests as far as Iran is concerned. So they see Israel as an ally 
in one form or another, but they are not prepared to normalize the relationship and they say it's progress on the Palestinian front. But here, here's a, in my view, there's an opportunity for the Biden administration to say, to, to, to be more open, not merely pay lip service to the two-state solution, saying we still support two-state solution, but actually make it abundantly clear, you know, the two solution remains sequana to a lasting peace between the two sides. And then get get the Saudis also into into this kind of process. Yes. Do you, don't you think that there's a window? I, I, I feel there's a window for the for the United States to put this triangle together. What what do you think of that? I What's, I couldn't agree more. And I think the way to do that is by saying to uh, by the administration, the Biden administration, saying to itself if not the president saying to himself, um, okay, we, we've locked the Congress now for two years. We, we know what we've got. Not, not good, but at least we know what we've got. Now it's time to stop posturing in public and to do private diplomacy to the extent that we can. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of Jimmy Carter, and uh, the one thing that he did was it was pretty earth-shaking in, in bringing the two warring leaders uh, to the U.S., and forcing by force and effective personality and uh, and determination to get all the issues on the table in a way that they couldn't posture their way out of it and uh, uh, and that was that was uh, an incredible experiment that actually turned out mostly right i think that uh, president biden could do the same thing without a lot of emphasis on what he's doing until there's something to report uh, in other words i think we need to get the cameras turned off and 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 uh, he and the MBS, who is the de facto uh, king and in, in effect in uh, Saudi, uh, needs a little guidance, not a lecture to, because he's not going to take that. He's uh, too independent. But I think that uh, that he would relish the opportunity to be considered more of a senior statesman and to take some of the guidance of what what it means to sit down and talk about the issues on the table and how could we be uniquely uh, capable of, of looking at these anew. Uh, but you're right, there is a window of opportunity here while the world is distracted with other things that I think uh, could, could bear some fruit. But Netanyahu is going to have to back off on his normal uh, sword rattling and, uh, and some of the things that have gone on under his watch in the past have got to stop if we're going to be able to make progress. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, given the current government in Israel, which is the most extremist of all governments throughout Israel history, and given the fact, you know, what we just mentioned, talked about Netanyahu's desire to normalize relations with Saudi Arabia, I had an opportunity very recently, a couple of three days ago, to speak very high official, Saudi official, and I floated this idea, and I said, you know is what Israel would like. We know how much you would like, too. As a matter of fact, because strategic collaboration, technological collaboration, name it. There's a great deal of common interest between the two sides. Yeah. And but you also know your position vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinian. Why would you come up with a public statement and say, we will normalize relations if the Israelis are willing to sit down and, and also condition the support of the Palestinian? You also have to be very serious in trying to reach an agreement with Israel. Such a public statement, you think? Because you're, you're talking, and I agree with you 100%, behind the scenes discussion, I've been involved myself in so many back channels, which is necessary, absolutely. But do you think a public statement like this would put tremendous pressure on Netanyahu? 
Because the Israeli public is going to say, look, you have an opportunity, not normal as relation with Saudi Arabia only, but with the whole Arab and Muslim world for that matter, once Saudi Arabia agrees. Uh, what do you think of this approach? I'm a little tired of Likud being another th third party in the United States. You know, yeah, they yeah. they know more about and are more involved in our politics than we are sometimes. But I, I think the the reality of it is that the, the government is going to have to, whether it's Netanyahu or anybody, is going to have to understand that while maintaining the strongest level of defense and partnership with the United States, there are uh, there are duties that we all have uh, as nations to try to solve problems regardless of how long they've been festering and they're going to have to change the methodology of doing so yes i think the public in israel would be very supportive of a new initiative that was not accompanied by a lot of uh, sword rattling bellicosity and uh, pompous statements and uh, we've, we've tended to get too many of those getting in the way of public opinion in the past Unfortunately, in the United States, uh, while they're still playing to the crowd, the crowd is becoming less and less knowledgeable of what the uh, the crowd being the United States body politic of uh, what the stakes are and why this is something people have to pay attention to. Uh, by the way, I got the name of that book wrong. It was from Beirut to Jerusalem. Uh, by, 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 what's his name? Yeah. Your, uh, your columnist. Uh, right. uh, what's his name? I forgot Excuse me. He's very well famous uh, columnist for the New York Times. Yes, and I, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't remember it either. And it's I, uh, Thomas I, I Friedman. Talk, yeah, Friedman. Yeah, Friedman. Tom Friedman. Yeah. Yes. I can't even forget Tom Friedman. Yes. So anyway, yeah, that the was that was a fascinating book. It was uh, I'll be twenty five plus years ago. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, I, I think it was more like 35. Uh, I, I don't want to show yeah, my well, age. Yeah, many years ago. But I want to go back to, to the question I asked you. Do you feel if the, the should if and the Saudis will agree to make this kind of public statement, could that change the dynamics? Uh, it, yes, I think it would. And I think it would take a little bit of bravery uh, to do so, because, of course, there's going to be a, la a lateral attack uh, from uh, part of the Saudi community uh, and from the international community uh, that doesn't want them to succeed in things like this. But I think it would be important. And I think they've got the, the uh, well, uh, gravitas is the word I'm looking for, I think, internationally to be able to pull that off. Everybody, well, first of all, I think it's important, especially for MBS uh, and for the Saudi senior leadership and the royal family to understand that he has opened up a, a fascinating door into what he wants to accomplish by 2030. We all know, and I, I got deep into this in this, uh, this new work that I'll have out uh, hopefully in May, that uh, that they are going to have to give up being 90% petrochemical if they're going to create sufficient uh, resources for the country over time. The planet has finally come to the conclusion that we cannot continue on petrochemicals forever. So that, that has its own conclusion. But in, in coming up with this new enterprise, not only the new city and, uh, and wanting to open up to tourism and so on, there's a great opportunity for, uh, uh, for doing what you know, we were doing with China to a great extent uh, 30 years ago, which is to say, you know, it's hard to attack your trading partner beyond a certain point. So let's increase the amount of trade. Let's increase the amount of commerce. Let's increase the, the ties. 
this is something that uh, that Saudi Arabia has to find a way to do beyond just opening the door and saying, come on in, guys, the investment is fine. And that's where we are right now. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the you know, the, some, of course, are saying, you know, if we want to be less dependent, you know, I mentioned to you earlier, Saudi did this decision and chairing the OPEC meeting, reducing the production of oil. And there was a great deal of discussion in the United States, what kind of measures can we take against the Saudis? Uh, um, what um, the point I want to make here, that is, so that is just the suggestion is going, uh, following what you just say, it's time for us to end the use of fossil oil. That's, that's a part. And, and it's time for us to um, import less, but albeit we are actually self-sustained in terms of oil production. Whenever sure. there is, we have European allies, we have responsibility. We have to make sure that still, uh, you know, the, the energy continues to flow. And so we, we have to be, what, what do you think of the, uh, we want to obviously import less, use less fossil oil and all of that. And the Saudis, on the other hand, also understanding that it is a question of when they will not be able, even if they have the oil, and they can't know how much they want to sell a barrel of oil, they won't be able to sell it because there will be no consumer for it. It's That's a right. question of 10, 20, 30, it's going to happen. Why not think in, the, in terms of the United States want to divorce itself a bit slowly from price of oil, so that Saudi understand that they cannot sell it forever. Sit down now and talk of a plan of action jointly jointly wouldn't you think this would go would be very significant a step if a jointly to secure for the, to help the saudis work on renewable sources of energy and at <clears throat> the same time that is basically joint venture on a large scale in that direction i think that'd be brilliant uh but i think the first thing that uh, that's going to have to be done is a demonstration of good faith on the part of the us and the uk and anybody else who uh, is on on the, the side of trying to get this discussion started with the saudis um, and saying we're not trying to lecture you we we need to come together and and, and try to create a more uh, a, a more unified and uh, predictable movement into what's coming in the future we are we know that wind is continuing to increase in terms of its viability as a small percentage of of any grid we know that um, wave uh, generation is coming uh, for uh, use of uh, sea coasts and, uh, and and generation of electricity uh, we certainly know that uh, uh, we're going to be probably 10 to 20 years before uh, uh, fusion becomes a viable commercial possibility. But uh, some of the experiments that uh, were announced just recently that were successful show that, yes, there is an open door there. It, it does have some possibility. That's going to revolutionize everything. Hydrogen is, is coming online, too, uh, to a great extent, much more so than, than was uh, before and uh, the ability of taking solar panels and making them 10 to 20 to 30 times more efficient is is in progress we're still continuing that evolution so with all of this it is a threat to any society and the Saudis especially they want to say no this is just going to go into the future well if you're going to plan for more than 2030 if you're going to plan for 2040 2050 2060 you got to be aware that the market for oil is going to continue to decrease and uh, and the market is uh, is going to govern how much money there is, the, and and you know it was it was petroleum that that took this 
country from being nomadic to being a modern uh, and, and uh, vibrant economy. Uh, but the fact is, it's still 90% of the exports. And probably 76, I think, is the figure that I last saw uh, of the overall commerce of uh, the gross national product of Saudi Arabia is still petrochemical and chemicals uh, that derive from that. So um, they've got to change. But I think it's to the best interest of the world, as you say, to sit down and start some talks on this and not do it in, a, in an incredibly public fashion, but do it on the background and creating a coalition of, of, self, of uh, common interest, not self-interest. That's what we're going to, we got to convince the Saudis, though, that we're serious about this, and it's not yeah. just telling them what to do. And of course, this will eventually, sooner or later, will bring the UAE into the, into the same framework, will bring other oil producing countries in the Gulf uh, as well into that kind of mm-hmm. that is going to, I, I uh, you know, again, I'm thinking out of the box to see how can we move things a little bit around. If I may, can we switch a little bit to this, uh, to the Iran deal. You'd like to talk a little bit about that? The, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I the, Iran, the, the, the Iran, uh, US-Iran uh, discussion, of, in the oh, yeah. discussion about the nuclear deal. Needless to say, and I, I think knowing what you are, your thought on this already, that uh, President, uh, so-called President Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I endorse uh, that, so-called. Made, made a horrible, horrifying mistake, terrible mistake, by withdrawing from the Iran deal, which was signed, I believe it was 2015, if I'm not mistaken. And look where we have found ourselves today. Uh, Iran has a significant amount of purified uranium to 60%. They can, within within days, within days, I understand, they can convert much of it to 90% purity in order to be able to, to have at least one nuclear weapon. So they have the technology, they have the know-how, and they probably could could do just like the Pakistanis have done. Uh, after a few, only a few weeks after India tested a nuclear device, the Pakistan tested one. You, I'm sure you remember that. How yes, long it took between the two? Uh, so, so Iran may, is saying we will never have a nuclear weapon. We don't want a nuclear weapon, but surely they can put all the pieces together and can. In, in five weeks, they can say we have it. So yeah. they can live up to the public statement that we don't want to have it. We don't have it, but they can produce it when they want to produce it, if they have all the pieces together. So the negotiations now are stuck, uh, yeah. as you well know, because of two things. A, they want to, to remove the, the National Guard from the big terrorist organization. And they also want to, there's also discussion about the sunset clauses, which can be dealt with, etc. And and uh, the extent of how much money can be released. And the Netanyahu government, of course, is totally against that, which is, yeah. he's been misguided from day one, and he continues to be misguided. How would you suggest, what do you think, given this now reality, that the United States ought to do in order to, Iran is there, Iran will be there, now we'll be there in 100 years, we'll be there in 2,000 years from now. Iran is there. Uh, and and now we find ourselves basically stuck. Yes, know? we do. We, we do. We're basically stuck. And to think, uh, please correct me if you think I'm wrong, that we can actually prevent Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon if they are, if are so determined to create one. I don't think we can do that. Now that ship has sailed. That ship has sailed. 
that sailed in uh, when yeah, uh, I mean, Trump no, we blew can everything. bomb them and, and, and they will go back and we'll be more determined to have you, one. Professor, you remember... What's your, uh, take? What's your take on this? Well, you, you remember, first of all, a little background, uh, the, our mutually assured destruction, MAD concept in the United States between us and the Soviet Union, um, really kept the world safe for about 40 years. But it was predicated on having uh, responsible leaders, maybe not ones we liked, but responsible leaders on both sides that uh, that were not going to uh, incinerate the planet because they knew that would be exactly the situation and still is, for that matter. Uh, with the amount of nuclear uh, capabilities that we have and that they have. Um, we're actually approaching something close to that with uh, respect to Israel and uh, and their absolute interests in making sure that Tehran either doesn't have the bomb or doesn't use it. Uh, I mean, any missile lifting off any pad that might have a nuclear weapon on it is going to be incinerated, and so will Tehran, and so will most of the country. We know the capabilities are there, but what we haven't done is been able to certify in one form or another that the control, command and control over the nuclear weapons that we assume they're going to have if they don't already, uh, is going to be mature and careful as as much as uh, it can possibly prove that with respect to uh, to Tel Aviv. Uh, if we have a miniature mad situation, that will keep everybody safe. But right now, my biggest concern as a military man is lack of command and control unification. If you go autonomous with a missile battery that has a nuclear weapon on it, or that it may have one, in uh, someplace off in the, uh, in the desert there, not in Tehran, uh, and you turn uh, local control over, you make that un unit autonomous, uh, you just signed the death warrant for everybody, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I know enough about uh, what we believe we understand in terms of the command and control system. As a matter of fact, I put this in one of my novels uh, that uh, that I'm, I'm terrified of having that that happen. If they take it autonomous, the Israelis are not going to rave. Oh, wait, they're going to they're going to launch. And they, they understandably would be concerned that if they didn't, they would be looking for uh, the possibility that uh, that an incoming is going to make it through any defense system. Uh, so I think right now, instead of trying to oppose what is going to be inevitable, thanks to Trump, uh, which is the uh, the creation of enough certainty that they have the ability to build a bomb that we've got to assume they have it. Uh, that what we need to concentrate on is assurance that, uh, that the command and control is correct. Now, that sounds like I'm sinking down from uh, philosophy and strategy and the tactics, but I think it affects the strategy. You are absolutely right. And this is what I wanted to flood the idea with you. And that is, you mentioned in a mutual assured destruction, uh, which is actually, we have a real example of more recent, forget the Soviet Union, then Russia versus the United States, or United States versus all, all the nuclear power. But look what happened between India and Pakistan. Yeah. India and Pakistan fought three wars, conventional wars, over Kashmir. But since both declared having nuclear weapons, there was no war between India and Pakistan. Yeah. That, that's just that's the fact. Am I right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, it hasn't been, well, maybe within the uh, foreign policy area, it's been well understood. I think outside of that, the, the vast majority of the United States doesn't understand what happened over there and that it came back to the same mad concept. So, so, so that, but here, the Pakistanis and the understood 
another war could lead to nuclear configuration. And they basically, there's a lot of, uh, you know, yeah. uh, conflicts here and conflicts with nothing to the magnitude of waging war, a real war against one another. So, so from my perspective, as I see it, I don't think the, the if, you know, if you look at the Iranian history, and you, you, you're very much aware of this more than anyone else, going back 2003, that's the Persian Empire. If there were any people, if they, if they have nothing else but patience, yeah. they can wait. They can wait 100 more years. If they want to have a nuclear weapon, they can wait. <laughs> and they will produce right. it when they want to produce it. So I would, I would like to think, I'm, I'm thinking just to, to give you the scenario and tell me your reaction to it. Um, if Israel is going to have a nuclear weapon, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a very, uh, you know, open secret, but Israel has a nuclear yeah, weapon. Right. There's no way on that. And from, as I see it, if Iran is to acquire a nuclear weapon, right, maybe it's a crazy notion. <laughs> if we're out okay, you're going to cre create between Israel and Iran the concept of mature, mature destruction. That's right. right. That, that would be the case. Yeah, and, that's, and, that, and that's why I say that the thing that worries me the most in, uh, in that is that we need to hurry up and create that level of responsibility to where the leaders on both sides know very well exactly what the consequences would be of pushing that button. That's right. But with that, and that, because knowing the Iranian, Iran are going to go crazy because they know Israel will have a second strike capability that can wipe out half of Persia, half of Iran if they choose to do that. Yeah, they have the that capability. Not to speak of the United States, will most likely will come to Israel aid no matter what happens. Yeah. I mean, the likelihood. So, so if we take this scenario, that is, you want to, because Biden said we will not allow Iran to have nuclear weapon, which means if we have to use force, remember when he was asked, will that include the use of force? And his answer was yes. I think that's catastrophic. That is, to, to go to try to bomb Iran nuclear facilities by United States and or Israel, a combination of the two, it's catastrophic. So why not think out of the box and think in terms, okay, if you want to have a nuclear weapon, there will be consequences. But not threatening by attacking, but relying on the concept which has been successful and proven to be solid, and that is the mutual, mutual destruction, provided exactly what you said. That we need to make sure that I'm sure that there's a responsible leadership, but they are responsible leadership because they know the consequences will be nothing short of suicide. Yeah, uh, I, I think, well, matter of fact, uh, I'm sure you're aware, and I've there a lot of I'm not specifically aware of, but I know of the propensity for it having happened, that uh, it took an awful lot of tugging at Netanyahu and at previous governments to keep them from just carpet bombing the installations uh, and, and, and starting that, that conflict. Uh, it's too late to even consider that. Actually, I don't think it was ever viable to consider that. Okay. Uh, and, and so there, there's only one thing left. Well, there are two things left. One is impossible, and that is the Iranians just suddenly, spontaneously uh, turning it all over and giving up uh, as far as nuclear weaponry. That's not going to happen. Um, secondly, it's the possibility of going into a stasis that is well understood. Um, there was, uh, I, I'm a bit of a uh, aficionado of Star Trek uh, because of its uh, kind of happy, exuberant look at the future, but one of the uh, 
one of the episodes, I think, of the original show, uh, they encountered a planet that had been at war with another planet for centuries. And they'd finally gotten to the point they weren't even bothering uh, sending weapons back and forth. They were just uh, sending numbers. Okay, this many of your people need to walk into a disintegration cha uh, chamber. And if you don't, then we're going to send our weapons over. And it had gotten to the point of complete ludicrousness. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I'm afraid that uh, if we don't look at this uh, on a stasis basis, in other words, a mad type of arrangement with responsible leaders on both sides, we're going to end up in some sort of a, a wobbling uh evolution if you will that's not going to go in the right direction and you know even with the even the soviet union even when the soviet union collapsed there was still nuclear weaponry uh that was keeping the world safe i mean it's even you know putin has been alluded number more than once that uh, he could use tactical nuclear weapon against the ukraine and of course it was widely also worn publicly but more more behind the scene that is that this is going to be nothing short of catastrophic catastrophe for Russia itself, yeah. uh, and he stopped talking talking about that. I mean, talking about responsible uh, leadership, of course, it always takes responsible leadership. But it seems to me, when a country acquires nuclear weapon, even the less responsible become aware of the of, of the magnitude of the catastrophic magnitude that can take place should they, uh, you know, go crazy all of a sudden. Because in nowadays, you know, uh, two two nuclear power fighting in the southern none is going to survive. That's right. Yeah, the the brinksmanship that occurs is brinksmanship that you see uh, uh, Putin engaging in now. Well, I'm not going to use strategic, but I may use tactical. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> One other thing I want to get you to put on is you know the Saudis being uh, sort of trying and to some extent, but they they feel that they're in a position to mediate between the United States and China. Uh, they actually tried to mediate between the Ukraine and, uh, and Russia. And they uh, interjected themselves into this. And uh, what, would you, what do you think um, of, of the Saudis? How do they look at themselves? And why do they feel that they have something to offer, specifically between giants like Russia, the United States, yes. uh, and China? Well, these are their customers, and you don't want your customers to diminish the market. Uh, uh, so important. They, <laughs> yes. So they they've got they've got a a good rationale from the very beginning of saying, uh, okay, uh, this may not work, but let's interject ourselves as a mediation methodology, and uh, and I'm I'm all for mediation uh, in any situation because it at least lays everybody's cards on the table. And when one of the uh, one of the participants lays cards on the table and they're laughable, um, it becomes embarrassing to keep that position. So you can subtly see changes even in uh, staying diplomacy over time. You go back to the Vietnam situation with Kissinger again and, uh, and the Paris Accords and the difficulty. At least he got the cards out on the table before any uh, uh, you know anything uh, uh, progressed. Many years later, it was General Giap of the North Vietnamese who mm -hmm. said, you know. That was so effective. If they had done just a couple of things differently, if they continued carpet bombing us for another week, uh, we would have surrendered. If they had done this in Paris, we would have surrendered. Uh, it, it's you got to look at it on the basis of when people take a position and are able to, in uh, in a 
kind of a bellicose fashion refuse to even consider an alternative, uh, then you, you end up with hardening positions that get, get us into the brink of war in one form or another. But if they're on the table and at least you know what you're dealing with, uh, it, it tends to bring reality into the situation. So to, to your question, I think the Saudis have a role to play. Uh, and I don't think they're going to feel that they'll be laughed out of uh, an attempt to do so, but it will be ambitious. By the same token, they know that they're a major part of the international community, and mm -hmm. uh, and they don't have to worry like Putin does that he needs to restore glory. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you, you put your finger right, right on it. They have clients. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. For us to be keep them, keep them buying, keep them buying uh, oil. Well, let's let's uh, <laughs> reduce the tension between my my customers. Uh, that's it's a good business. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. You know. Uh, finally, one more thing. Uh, let's go back to where we started in terms of uh, the Saudis' human rights issues. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, MBS came with the with the premise: I'm going to reform. Uh, we're going to do this and this. And to this day, of course, they, they still have the capital punishment. On the week ago, I think a few weeks ago, they executed, I think, 84, 84. You know, we were we were terrified when we saw what's happening in Iran. Well, you know, hanging three or four people last uh, couple of weeks, um, and and you know, and you, you and I agree uh, that that the the way to, to try to influence Saudi Arabia to correct its uh, uh, national human rights abuses is certainly not chastising or criticizing them publicly. Yeah. But yeah. in in practical terms, if you were if you were to again advise today. President Biden, we we would like to see less abuse of human rights in Saudi Arabia, and, and for that matter, anywhere. But we're taking Saudi Arabia because we're dealing with Saudi Arabia. That's right. Because we have geostrategic, we have strategic interests in Saudi Arabia. We have many reasons. We are we are allies for that matter, and and uh, to have that kind of alliance, close alliance with, when that one party is committing these egregious human rights violations. It doesn't sit well for many Americans who really feel feel this issue. Obviously, we are not exactly um, angels when it comes to that. How would you how would you go about that? I would go about it basically. Uh, yeah, well, there's there's something that happened to me years ago as an author that informed this. My uh, editor, who is a wonderful individual, uh, Howard Cady, um, I've been at the business about 52 years, as you said, as a bookie, in other words, basically as a uh, an editor. Um, he, uh, I came to New York uh, on, uh, on one of the regular visits with my second book. Uh, we did four together. And uh, he took me aside and said, almost whispering, he said, I have great confidence in you, John, but I want to make sure that everybody else has confidence in you. So please learn the difference between, and there were a couple of words that he wanted me to stop misspelling. Well, this is this is how you deal with you know people that are important to you. You sit down with them in private and you say, you know, you're making it really hard uh, for me to convince my body politic that we need to go in this particular way. I, you know, you're a, an autonomous country, but by the same token, there is a standard of conduct in the world. We're not hands clean all the time, but please help me on this. Don't kill any more journalists or whatever you know you yeah. need to say. Um, and and I think that has a far more uh, consistent uh, uh, 
chance of, of getting the things that you want to get in. in because, you know, again, we are, uh, how shall I put it? And I don't want to sound uh, like I'm losing faith, but we are a representative democracy to a certain extent. And we are in great danger of losing that designation because most of our people don't even understand what it means. But in that sort of a situation, it is important to have the people on your side. If you're going to deal with Saudi Arabia and you are you're, you're listening to a lot of cries from the population uh, for blood uh, and for revenge or for uh, uh, belittling your partner because of what they did, um, you're not going to be able to advance things along the way. So it has to be done more quietly and privately. That doesn't mean secret, because eventually. Yeah we we have to be open about it but but i i think that um and looking at mbs uh for just a second uh, yeah. he he's got uh, he's got obviously a very ambitious idea of where he can take his country and i think he also recognizes how important it is that they move towards that continuum um, and I'm sure that he would not do what he did with Khashoggi again with somebody else because he saw a deleterious effect. Uh, so we don't have to rub his nose in it like a dog. We basically need to say, please help us help you help all of us in moving this thing forward. And, and getting back to the, for just a second, to the economics of the situation, um, I am really concerned uh, that uh, that. Uh, the royal family and the king and MBS do not appreciate the degree to which they have got to change their methodologies of handling people within corporations if they are going to bring in uh, non-petrochemical. Uh, the uh, the situation right now is that Sabic and uh, Aramco and uh, Tasnia to a certain extent, although they're not a primary employer, uh, have been using Theory X forever, and it's worked. But it's not going to continue to work on the international yeah. stage, bringing investment in. And just apropos to your point, you made, you know, going back, sitting down with them and talking about there's another thing, you know, for them to, for us to make a point. What's better for them in the long term? That is, yeah. in terms of, you know, how do you want your people? Look what's happening in, in, in Iran today, uh, how uh, the, what the, the public is disgusted with the government. And yes, any opportunity there, they will rise and rise again and again because they need that kind, they need to breathe. Mm -hmm. So the Saudis also need to understand that in the long term, short term, long term, it's better for them, for themselves to have corrected their human rights. Uh, yeah. For example, by starting abolishing the, the capital punishment, begin yes. with something that, that doesn't cost them anything. I mean, there are, in the final analysis, you know, benevolent. Uh, dictatorship. <laughs> a king yeah. is a king. He's not going to relinquish his kingdom, but he can still become a very benevolent king. Yeah. Still admired, can still exercise all the power he wants to exercise without necessarily being challenged. That is, if the people feel happier and they're satisfied, they'll go along. That's how I see it. They will. Yeah, and and I, th I think, you, of course, you, you see, we all see the acute nature of the challenge because the, uh, I think it's uh, now something like 40% are under age 25. Uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, Ralph, because they've been changing, but it's, it's frightening because these folks, uh, they want a good life. 
uh, you're seeing uh, it's not the religious pressure that I think the uh, the government has been most fearful of, but it is just normal living pressure. And if there is uh, are things that they can do, including giving up uh, capital punishment or creating a more uh, robust uh, penal system that has more of the rule of law in it and less uh, fiat, um, then these are things that need to be done. And you're right, they don't cost that much in effect. But this this population, they, they want they want to live. They know what's going on in the West. They've been affected by the internet. And uh, there are too many people who simply don't have an opportunity. It's not that they're not intelligent, but they can't get into uh, the training they need to get a job. And the number of disaffected young Saudi males who can't get a job is frighteningly high and and this has got to be addressed not with government jobs this is why it's so important of uh, this vision 2030 which is really going to be more like vision 2040 uh to to bring in foreign investment and new industry not based on petrochemicals with new methodologies you give people a job that, that they can do and do well and they're trained for and there's pride in that and there's course. pride yeah, yeah absolutely uh, you know this is exactly what uh, what I think the Saudi need need to understand. Yes. I mean, you mentioned the percentage of, uh, if I recall right, uh, those under the age of uh, thirty are more than sixty percent, maybe even seventy percent of the Saudi population in Saudi Arabia. It's staggering. I mean, yeah, these, these young people, what is their future going to be? I mean, they're looking. They want. They want to. They want a future. They want better future. They do. Uh, yeah, and and, uh, and they're not rebelling against the religion. Not, they're not they're rebelling, re exactly. Yeah, it's a giant. This was terrific. I'd like to ask you just what would else would you like to say so for our audience to take the last word on this on this complex issue? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the the Saudis are great people. Uh, my contacts over there, uh, I've been incredibly impressed. Uh, even to a cab driver who was trying to play a little flim flam on me, who then immediately did the right thing, came back, refunded, you know, things like this that, that show the honor uh, that, that is there. It's it's a it's a very interesting country in so many different respects because they've some, come so far so fast, thanks to petroleum and thanks to the, the royal family. But they are facing an existential challenge here uh, that is not based on religion it's based on economics and uh, and as i say to me having written this book that's coming up uh, about a fellow by the name of dr talal al Sheer, um, hmm. who created this massive company for uh, uh producing titanium dioxide which is not easy to produce it's one of the few new non-petrochemical industries in Saudi over the last 30 years. And you uh -huh. would think that they would be trying to duplicate this. The thing that made him successful was the way he treated his people as a family. Right. And uh, so the uh, so I've gotten deep into this and very passionate about it because I saw a situation where the guy never never varied and numerous times uh they were looking into the abyss of corporate collapse because of uh, variations in this uh, industry and it was his people that brought him through that had the ideas uh, uh and not just the people at the top but i mean the frontline folks too it's really an inspiring story but it's a cautionary tale in I terms know. of you know riyadh you're gonna have to going to have to treat people differently you're going to have to bring them in as a family and after all you've got the basis for this and the pride already in saudis 
Right, right. Well, that's that nice. So, so true and so correct. Thank you so much, John. It was really wonderful having this conversation with you. Yeah, Thank you. And I'm very grateful. Uh, may, so, may I throw one little commercial in for people if they want to get, uh, if they want to watch that book? It's all yours. I just go to uh, uh, John J. Nance, N-A-N-C-E, dot com forward slash free book. <laughs> There's a, a previous uh, biography that I did. But anyway, it's johnjnance.com. All right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.